Okay, welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrullo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? It's definitely com- Comrade Dracula season. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> uh, take two. Yeah, it's uh, cold and rainy uh, and windy up here in northern Michigan, uh, where I'm right now. So it's definitely Halloween time, uh, hence my uh, screen name. Screen name? Pocket? What do you What do you call it? Um, pseudonym, pseudonym, alias. Acronym. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Comrade Dracula, which which originally it was back when everyone started to change their Twitter handles to like Halloween type things, uh, and and that's now become a tradition. Um, I I just recently changed my screen name again. Uh, it's now what is it now? Let me check here. I forgot what I changed it to. Uh, oh, yeah, my screen name now in, in honor of Halloween is uh, What We Do in John Cassavetti's Shadows. <laughs> so nice. double re- film reference there if you uh, know your Cassavetes. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm here. <laughs> I'm cramming for the test uh, up to the last second here for this film. Um, us. Yeah. Yeah, so we are, of course, reviewing uh, Jordan Peele's 2019 uh, horror thriller, uh, Us. Uh, And we had initially planned on doing this um, a while back, and it just kind of never came to, you know, never came to pass. But I'm glad we're finally getting around to it, because uh, it it was one of my favorite horror movies to come out in the last, you know, five to ten years. And I think it's got... Uh, some pretty deep resonance and thematic um, undertones to it that I don't know that necessarily people pick up on the first watch. So I definitely want to get into those. Uh, you know, we obviously, it feels like a million years ago, reviewed uh, Get Out. 
uh, way back, even I think it was even when LaDonna was on the show, so that was a long time ago. Um, but that was, you know, that was really fun to get into. And, uh, of course, that's what put Jordan Peele on the map. You know, everyone had known Jordan Peele as this uh, sketch comedy writer, basically. He had this, you know, great Comedy Central show, Key and Peele. Uh, really? You've never heard of that before. <laughs> well, you never know. Some people might not have. Um, I mean, he, he got on the map from, from Get Out. I don't know where he was before that. I've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you could tell just from even from the Key and Peele stuff, like he, he always had a love for horror and sci-fi and you know the twilight zone that was that was always something that was like a big influence on him and it's something that he would obviously do well to uh go into in the future and you know his two feature films us and get out uh have really funny moments but nobody would ever call them comedies you know like it's just they're straight up horror thriller you know whatever, whatever you want to call them social thriller which is what he calls it that's kind of fucking pretentious so i won't call it that um but yeah so get out was obviously heavily uh heavily thematically you know it 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 really focused on race that was the the main theme of get out and you know if you really want to dig deeper it was really about uh, white liberal paternalism and like the kind of uh faux racial like the 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 faux uh anti-racism of white liberals basically and how it's really just a front for their uh you know they harbor the same racism as conservatives they just do a much better job of hiding it i think that was one of the main uh themes of get out and the white girlfriend uh, was was flawlessly portrayed uh, perfect absolutely you didn't have to explain what that character was it's just it was like that like that was an archetype unto itself. Um, and I mean, just like how, how much they fleshed that out, you know, from a point of mutual understanding, like we know exactly who this person is. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then like the box of photos of like all the, right, like that. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Peele knows how to take something that is absurd on its face and present it as normal and then expound upon how absurd it really fucking is. Yeah. You know, so like the box of photos is is like, you know, uh, all the people she's essentially kidnapped. But it's also like a, a, a an allegory of like that that type of person that's like, oh, look how woke and look how aware I am. Like the I'm the Instagram influencer who's especially aware of the struggle of black. You know, it's just it, it's it's absurd at this point. Right. Um, but the, you know, and then also like just the way that she fucking eats the cereal <laughs> is even more <laughs> disturbing. Um, so yeah, that, that was one of my favorite parts of that film was, was that, uh, that line. Yeah, no, absolutely. And of course the, the brilliant piece of stunt casting of, um, what the fuck is that guy's name? Uh, the, 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 the guy who plays the dad who is just, you know, not even in character is just playing himself basically. Um, he the really West Wing is guy, the West yeah the West Wing guy, yeah yeah who didn't know his character was <laughs> was a joke <laughs> yeah no true story he said that um, and you could kind of tell by the way he behaves on Twitter because he really is the kind of guy who would say I would have voted for Obama for a third term but then you know scold, you know in in very racist coded language scolded black people for not voting for a terrible fucking racist candidate like Joe Biden so um, in any event. Get Out was obviously about race. Us, 
you know, uh, Jordan Peele ahead of time said us was not going to be focused on race. Um, and he really wouldn't expound too much on the theme of it, but when you really watch it, um, and, and kind of, you know, dig deeper on it, you can tell that it's actually, uh, really trying to focus the lens on class struggle. Like that's, that's the overwhelming theme that I took away from the film. And I'll, you know, highlight some interesting little subtle things that he does in the movie mm-hmm. to uh, to play at that without really spelling it out as much as it was spelled out in, in Get Out. I think it was actually a little bit more subtle and uh, smarter writing that he did in Us for that, you know, uh, thematic resonance. But it's, it's just interesting because I feel like Us was not nearly as well received as Get Out. You know, it... it uh, did well. It got like a ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but I think it only has like a six point nine on IMDb, which hmm. is pretty low. Um, considering six point nine, nice. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, considering Get Out's, I think well ab- above eight. Um, and you know, horror movies typically uh, don't do as well on IMDb. There's just definitely a uh, an anti horror bias. Like even even the kind of classic, uh, you know, films like the you know The Shining and shit like that. Uh, I know you recently have had a had a Twitter thing about the shine, but but movies that are considered, you know, classic cinema outside of the horror genre. Even sure. those movies don't typically score that highly on IMDb, just because of this. I mean, uh, it, it's just a it, weird, you know. Rating systems are all whack anyway. I mean, you know, like are. the Oscars hates horror films just as a rule, you know, and they hate they hate comedies, comic they hate anything movies, that's not fucking. You know. Drama it, it, or musical, basically. Exactly. My, my thing with The Shining is just that it's got a cult following that I feel like has not even watched the whole movie before. It's just, sure, oh, sure. we love Jack Nicholson, and oh, the iconography. Like, um, you know, it, like, <clears throat> famously, Jack Nicholson and Kubrick were just, like, complete total fucking assholes to Shelley Duvall on Horribly set. abused her, yeah. Because there, it was back when it was like, oh, well, the way to get a good performance out of an actor who's not as good as you is to harass them to the point where they fucking snap and then you get it on camera. And that's not okay. No, that's, <laughs> right? it, that's yeah. So, you know, but at the same time, you know, people are like, oh, Kubrick never understood toxic masculinity. It's like, that's all he ever did was was that right was was make toxic mass so, yeah, characters that embodied toxic masculinity exactly exactly so so my tweet was just that <clears> my <throat> favorite scene of of the shining is when shelly duvall fucking brains nicholson in the head with the baseball bat <laughs> that's all i said that's yeah. all i said um oh and also my other favorite scene is when he's chopping through the door but not in the actual movie only when that scene is is being projected on the drive movie theater in the movie <laughs> twister and then a tornado tears through the movie screen that's what, yep. that's when i like it yeah no and and for sure you know i i i do love the shining but i think i also uh, i i definitely don't have that kind of cultish relationship with it i'm i'm definitely of the mind that it, it's a good film it's not a good adaptation i think the book is actually a lot better because it really delves into it, Jack Nicholson is is a psychopath from the second you see him on screen in, in The Shining. Like right. you're like, oh, this guy's gonna murder his entire family. 
in the book, he's actually a really loving dad who has like horrible struggles with alcohol. The whole book was written as an allegory for Stephen King's alcoholism and his battle with alcoholism hmm. and the way he was terrified of like how he was treating his son and things like that. Right. So it, it's a lot more redeeming of a story than the movie. Um, I feel like the movie kind of well, you know, doesn't you know, capture that. It, but it, it is a good film, but it, it really does not hold up to our personal favorite Stephen King adaptation the Langoliers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, look, look, nothing's going to touch the Langoliers. But oh um, my god, I was I was hanging out with a friend last night uh, who, who I haven't seen in a number of years, hanging out at a bar, uh, and randomly she brought up the Langoliers. She's like, "You remember that shit on TV?" And I was like, oh, what? "Yes, of course I do." Oh it's man. Fucking- so, because I was, I was well, ever. I was talking about I was talking to her about how I uh, flew on a plane to L.A. back in uh, April when nobody was flying and how I was like one of only uh, 10 people on the whole plane. And she was like, like the Langoliers. I was like, yes, <laughs> exactly like the Langoliers. That's exactly what it, it felt like. We made that comparison at the time, I think, on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. Anyway, funny time. Um, but and so, you know, it's interesting because The Shining was one of the movies that uh, Jordan Peele cited as an inspiration for us. Uh, and it's one of the movies he, he made his cast watch. I think 10 movies, so they kind of got an understanding for the vibe of uh, the film that he wanted to make. And, you know, it's not obvious, but there are definite, you know, nods to it. I mean, there's that opening shot of them driving that really great, you know, kind of helicopter, although I'm sure it was used, done by a drone now. But, you know, uh, an homage to the helicopter shot and shining uh, of the car kind of, you know, driving on the winding roads to get to the vacation house. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so us is it's a it's 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 well let's just let's just get into the themes because I really wanted to get into some of the anti-capitalism of the film. Um, obviously, the main uh, uh, kind of thing that runs through uh, the film is this kind of hands across America uh, campaign, which was one of these you know uh, numerous. It, 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 the '80s seemed like they were just filled with these kinds of. Uh, well-meaning but sort of silly campaigns to you know raise money for for various causes you know live aid and all things like that and feed the children yeah feed the children feed the world the fucking worst christmas song of all time um what was the what was the big uh we are the we are the world we are the world i think uh what was the my favorite one of those artists was uh springsteen his his like belting it out. <laughs> we are the world. That video, man, so ridiculous, unbelievable. It's been parodied so many times, but like, God, there was um oh even there like uh, you do, you mentioned something yesterday that made me think of uh rock. Oh, it was Eddie Van Halen just passed away yesterday. Um, and <clears> my <throat> my favorite episode of Yacht Rock, the web series from like 2005, was the um the Van Halen. One, but they did like a, a a mock of the um, We Are the World, where like Michael McDonald wasn't invited, and he's like <laughs> crestfallen because of it, and he's like trying to like figure out how to get into the We Are the World thing, and like he <laughs> he gets there, and all the other like hot pop musicians of the eighties are mocking him because he's like a washed up has been of like the late seventies, you know. <laughs> so classic. Yeah. So, I, and I didn't realize this, but Hands Across America was an actual thing. I thought they, I thought it was like a mock of that they made up for the movie. But in my research, I realized it was a real thing where this this one like ex hippie guy was trying to raise money to fight homelessness and fight hunger. Um, 
and he wanted to just create like the world's longest human chain like across the you know across every land mass in in in, in the world basically uh-huh um and and i guess they actually really you know did attempt this and you know uh, people figured out that like obviously there were a million breaks in it because there's just areas where nobody lives but based on the 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 kind of the, the the estimated amount of participation if they actually had linked uh hands they actually could have had, could have you know linked themselves around america you know continuously with a with a without breaking the chain but um and they raised like 15 million for nice charity or something like back that reference there just to yeah. keep with the, the <laughs> 80s music um yeah well but, i mean it was like it was it was optics you know it was like yeah, hey yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah. we're going to link arms across this park you know, and then like once there's a street, we're gonna stop, right? So yeah. it wasn't 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 really real, but you know, sort of the implication in the film in us is that uh, you know we all have an other, uh, well, we all have a different version of ourselves living underground because of some uh, government project, dark project, uh, black ops bullshit, uh, and you know we we sort of we we see this kind of the idea of it actually being done teased in kind of the beginning um you know with this commercial for it that uh we assume the little girl is watching we don't see her watching it but we like we're we're getting her pov shot essentially um and i mean the yeah i mean i i don't remember this i was a kid then so i'm not surprised i don't remember it but uh just uh, you know there was all kinds of shit like that back then it was just all the all the you know like cornflake version of activism yeah so i mean you know there, there was a lot of that going on in the 80s and i don't think it's a mistake that they chose this this kind of fighting hunger and homelessness and poverty campaign as the kind of backdrop and undercurrent of the film uh because that's something that the film really tackles head on the issue of of class and the issue of you know haves and have nots uh i think that that's something that they really get into, uh, and you know, so the opening scene, uh, is, uh, uh, Adelaide as a, uh, youngster at this, uh, boardwalk kind of carnival thing, uh, in Santa Cruz, California, which of course I immediately was, you know, when I first saw the movie, I was like, holy shit, I fucking, you know, love that because that's the, uh, filming location of the Lost Boys. They, had to change it to Santa Carla because Santa Cruz, California, wasn't crazy about uh, the movie calling it the murder capital of the world. <laughs> so they they created the fictional city of Santa Carla. Although actually, Santa Cruz is one of the highest murder rates per capita in the entire U.S. So I mean, fucking vampires. Like yeah, they got, well, a, they mean, got a vampire know. problem. Look, like <laughs> until that goes away, people are going to get murdered. Right. I do love that that's actually kind of how seedy the place was because they were filming it on the boardwalk, like on location in this actually seedy, dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And parts of it are still there because they actually used, you know, some of the rides have been there since uh, I think they said 1910. So they didn't have to do a ton of uh, set deck to make it look like 1986 Santa Cruz, uh, which is pretty cool. But so and, and actually in the film, they even say. Oh hey, you know there's uh, some movies shooting over by the the carousel. You should go see if you could be an extra, which was obviously a nod to the Lost Boys filming in '86 mm. uh, and coming out obviously a year later in '87. So I, I appreciate that because that's again one of my all time favorite films, uh, which we may or may not be talking about at some point uh, coming up soon. So keep your ear out for that. But yeah, so uh, 
the uh, the scene. Uh, you know, it plays a lot differently when you when you know the ending, and that's something upon second watch that obviously I look for a lot of different things. Uh, especially when you know that the swap, you know, happens at a certain point in the in the opening. Um, but uh, one of the swaps happens in the opening. Oh, are we, are we going to talk about the the, the theory about uh, mm. about Jason? We'll get into that towards. <laughs> yeah, the end. yeah, yeah. I, I like that theory a lot. I think that that's actually probably true, <clears throat> just based on a lot of mm-hmm. circumstantial evidence in the film. Um, based but on yeah, a lot of YouTube videos I crammed right before. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, so then you know, once we 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 cut to grown up Adelaide, which is of course the incredible Lupita Nyong'o who plays two roles, two lead roles in this film, and fucking I think kills it in both. Um, she's you know obviously the highlight of this movie. Her roles are so good; one of her roles kills the other role. <laughs> right. <laughs> and 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 honestly, like even though they're they obviously are both Lupita, they you, you don't at all think of that. Like they look nothing. Like she just perfectly like embodies these two different you know people uh and you have to really wonder about red who you know we later learn is is the young adelaide who ends up getting swapped into this this underground you know (laughs) nightmare world that that you know the other tethered uh grow up in uh why she's so out of her fucking mind but it, it really is almost like the kind of nature versus nurture thing. Cause you just wonder like, you know, would any of us end up like that if we ended up down there with all these people who don't fucking speak and only can grunt and, and I'm still not fully clear on like, if she's the tethered version of, 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 of you know, Lupita Nyong'o, why she has autonomy, like over her own movements and control, like that. S- some of the sci-fi elements of this are a little confusing to me. You know what I mean? Like it, where like Jason can make his double walk backwards, but like Lupita can't can, can like the Lupita who we know is yeah, the tethered I don't, one. I don't, you know what I mean? I never spent any time thinking about it because it makes no fucking sense. It doesn't there's, really there's make no... sense. Yeah, I lo- as, as long as you could accept it and not really think too deeply about it, I guess it's. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but but there's certainly little elements of like, huh, that doesn't yeah. fully click. Um, well, but a really original, cool concept. Like, I, it's just something yeah. I, you know, never would have thought of. I, yeah, I didn't take it any further than it being just a riff on Metropolis, uh, Fritz Lang's uh, landmark sci-fi film from 1927, that there is a underclass that literally lives below ground that does all the work to, you know, make sure that all the rich people that live above ground can live in, uh, you know, ivory towers and whatnot. Now, it's not really clear that, you know, the people in the underground world are actually working so that we can live a great life. But it's, uh, you know, somewhat represented in Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss character of just kind of like being drunk and hanging out on the beach. And that's all they do, you know, like that's yeah. kind of a representation of that. Um, and we don't <clears throat> see anyone else like working a job above well, ground ever but yeah. it's sort of implied that like you know the even like the middle class life that her family has Lapita's character has is seen as you know living somewhat of a life of luxury and that like we see them on vacation but never actually working yeah well and and you know i think a lot of that comes out in in red's speech when they you know when they first like break into the house and she's talking about well you know while you were, you know, sitting eating, a girl eats warm food, and you know her shadow had to sit and eat raw rabbit. Like that whole thing that she goes through is very much, 
I think, a nod to that. And I think actually Metropolis was one of the 10 films that Jordan Peele had his cast watch in in oh, preparation for the film. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a pretty interesting list. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, we meet her husband, Gabe, um, who talks just like Jordan Peele. Like, I don't know if that guy talks that way normally, but he was playing Jordan Peele in that fucking role. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you've ever heard Jordan Peele talk, he, he has that same, like, kind of nerdy Kate, like... It, it was interesting because I don't think that guy normally talks that way. Um, but he was really good also in, in his dual roles as as Gabe and Abraham. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, they're driving to this uh, beach, this vacation house. And it, it, it's, you know, it, I feel like very much the, another theme of the of the movie was kind of this imposter syndrome where you, you know, achieve some moderate comfort in life, but you still feel like you don't necessarily necessarily belong there because people you're you know peers with ostensibly have way more than you do and that's kind of like the theme that they were trying to play at with Gabe's character where he always is trying to give his family these kind of luxurious things and you know his wife and even the kids are like well we don't really give a fuck about that he's like well come on come on who doesn't want a boat you know and he ends up buying this fucking beat to shit you know <laughs> boat that doesn't even work it almost kills him but Craw daddy yeah the craw daddy <laughs> Um, and but and it, but it, and it's sweet because he's such like you know he's such a fucking dad in this movie and he really just wants to give his kids this kind of nice life that he probably didn't have. Uh, and even the house they that they go to this vacation house is not a house that they bought or rented. I think they say that it was like their grandmother's house and that you know they basically inherited this house. Otherwise, they wouldn't have right. been able to afford a beach house in Cal in Southern California. You know, well, there's, there's there's a racial identity you know, angle there too, where the, the white couple is completely comfortable in this role. And exactly. the black yeah. family is kind of like, is the, the, are, like, what are we really doing with this? You know, like a boat, this cabin hanging out on the beach, you know, like just chit chatting for what reason? Like there's no, this, this doesn't feel authentic or at least mm -hmm. in the film, the character's, are reflecting that they don't feel that this lifestyle they never feel is authentic comfortable. to them. Right. Yeah, which I and I really appreciate. That was the subtle kind of melding of the race race and class themes that, you know, were weren't really present in Get Out. And obviously the race theme was present. It didn't focus a ton on class, but I, I appreciate that this film kind of focused on that. Um I mean as well. Get Out was about a, a, a rich white family and it was like being John Malkovich, but yeah. more violent like there was well, definitely was more a contained class too. To, there, there, to there was no I, yeah, that's true there, there was it just wasn't as as, as plain and, and as focused on as it was I think in us hmm. um, but so yeah obviously they go back to this beach in Santa Cruz which triggers Adelaide because you know she's obviously she knows that she doesn't want to go back there and get fucking uh, run into her, her other self and you know have to explain that or I don't think she even can, could have conceived of, you know, this kind of uh, untethered uprising where they're going to rise up and kill everybody. Because I'm sure that that, you know, she was a kid when she left there. They were probably just fucking wandering around aimlessly. It took a human from the above world to come down there to kind of lead this 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 uprising of, of you know, the, the tethered, you know, to get out of there. So... That wasn't even a conception for her, but she just didn't want to be anywhere near where she, you know, right. escaped I mean, from. If there's ever going to be a, a rebellion, um, it's going to be led by Ballerino. Uh, and <laughs> somehow there is a, um, oh God, what's her fucking name? <sighs> Help me out. 
Uh, Which one? Leon the Professional. Natalie Portman. Oh, now, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there is a, a fucking Black Swan Natalie Portman reference and in, baked into that somehow. <laughs> Star Wars, right? right. Um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, you know the, the the scene of them with with their rich white you know douchey friends on the beach is uh, is great. I, I think Elizabeth Moss is just perfectly cast as this kind of fucking like, you know, I, whenever I see her, knowing that she's like this super like into Scientology weirdo, I can't help but see that in her. So whenever she's playing like a fairly normal like friendly character i never really buy it whenever she's kind of this like you know just just below the surface like asshole or or crazy character like i buy it a lot more so i i did feel that in her role in in this movie like that she was well cast for it in the same way that i really felt um the fuck's her face lena dunham as one of the manson family members and once upon a time in hollywood as like really good casting oh yeah th- th- this this definitely rang true to that um well tim heidecker too i mean the, the, the yeah them no, getting same. drunk on the beach it, like it it felt like just an extension of the tim heidecker tim and eric uh zach galifianakis with her drinking vodka on ice on the fucking beach <laughs> rosé no it was the white it was the whitest pot it was rosé which is i like rosé but it is the whitest possible you know, type of wine you could be drinking. Yeah, I sort of combined two different Tim and Eric sketches there, yeah, right. but uh, you, you get the vibe. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, even after that, and just playing into this kind of this kind of imposter syndrome that they feel like uh, when they get back, you know, it, uh, Gabe is like, "Oh man, you just got that new car to fuck with me," which like, you know, he, I'm sure he didn't. He just got it because he's a rich prick, and like, what else is he going to do with his money? But it, it, but it's that feeling where he needs, he feels he needs to to match his friend, you know, who has this level of financial success through whatever, you know, shitty job he probably has. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's just an undercurrent that I feel like a lot of Americans feel, um, and shouldn't have to feel, but it, it, it's just, it's just inherently, you know, human nature to be like, Oh, well my friend, you know, he has this. So what, you know, it, it, it's just, I think it's something that people fight against. You know, I, I personally will fight against in my life where I'm like, I don't fucking need that. Like, what do I give a fuck? But like, it's just, it, you know, it, it's this thing that's almost drilled into you from birth as an American that you need to consume and you need to have nicer things and you need to buy more. And it's, it's a very unhealthy um, instinct, but it, it's something that I think it's hard for a lot of people to escape. Uh, let's see. So, uh, you know, from there, it, it pretty much jumps right in uh, to the, uh, to the crazy shit you know the the first uh 45 minutes really almost nothing happens like it, it, it's just very you know calm but then from then on it it you know once they get to the house and it and it becomes nighttime uh shit kind of goes crazy because then the four uh you know the, their four counterparts the four show up the four us yeah the four us show up in their driveway and i remember that scene in the theater i was like that like it you know, what, before you know what's going on, and you see there's just the four people standing in fucking darkness, and like they're like, ta- and they're not moving. It was fucking creepy. Like it was a very effectively shot scene, um, especially once Gabe goes outside with the bat, and then the one kid fucking scurries away like a, you know, like a spider or whatever the fuck he scurries away like. <laughs> creepy as hell, like um, the son of a crawdaddy. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, any kind of home invasion thing. We, mm. We've so hyped up the idea of home invasion. You've got these, like, 
you know, huge marketing campaign around ring cameras because every white person is convinced that like someone wants to break into their house and steal mm-hmm. all their things. You know, uh, it, it's just it's like home invasion <clears throat> is. is not a thing that happens very often. No, no. Because it's very high risk, which much more easy is to uh, hack credit card numbers and steal money that way. Like breaking into someone's home to harm them or steal from them or whatever uh, is, is most people, most criminals are still very risk adverse, right? You don't want to have a confrontation that could get you killed. But somehow yeah. we've convinced ourselves that everyone wants to break into our homes. So... Putting that in a film, of course, is... Well, because it's happened, like, you know, a handful of times, and all of those times get, you know, amplified to the max. Like, it happened once, like, ten years ago in Connecticut, in this town called Cheshire, and, like, everyone in Connecticut knows that story. And, like, I I think it's just... It's very much like a... Yeah, like a thing that probably happens very rarely, and it's probably involving people that have some that if not know each other like know of like oh this will be a good house because this person told like it's not something that's probably going to ever happen to anyone that you know in your lifetime but um i mean if if, if, you know it might have happened once when you were a little kid and joe pesci showed up and then you set out some (laughs) fucking micro machines that he slipped on but which they mentioned in this movie by the way which is funny (laughs) reference um but uh yeah, and and you know, but it, and again, but it's it's one of these things that it's pr- probably never going to happen to you, but it is a primal fear because your home is your 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 refuge, your solitude, your place of safety, uh, and the the biggest the, the worst thing you can imagine happening to you is somebody breaking that that safety and breaking that refuge and and you know breaking into your house and like you know especially to keep, to fucking murder you like so that's the, it, it, it's one of those things that. Uh, is a very effective trope for horror movies to play on. And, you know, horror movies at their best are either playing on a personal fear or a social fear, like, you know, you know, it, or shining a light on a social injustice. That's what real good horror does. And that's, I think, what Jordan Peele fundamentally understands about horror is that you need to say something with your horror. Like, it can't just be fucking you know schlock that that's just like oh here's fucking some spooky shit like it, it needs to actually have a message wait are you saying that mary shelley's frankenstein had a message behind it well i mean that was wet that that was a primitive but like that was of course you know nobody had done anything fucking like that at that point but it, uh, in, in terms You're of right. modern she modern did, horror a teenage girl did invent sci-fi um but yeah but that was the you know the the, the thing that made sci-fi sci-fi that mary shelley invented was you know a, a new kind of horror which yeah. was a fear of the future, a fear of technology uh, mm-hmm. being used against us, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like arguably uh, everything that, every every movie or story that takes place in the future is not sci-fi. Sci-fi, is, you know, at its heart is a sub-genre of horror. Um, and I feel like this movie that us is a little bit of sci-fi with kind of the backstory, you know, that like this whole underground. Certainly the mechanism of it is sci-fi. Uh, yeah. That, like the, there's this whole um, government program that created a copy of everybody that lives underground, eats rabbits and just wanders around. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like bumping into walls <laughs> and, you know, not getting enough vitamin D and everything. Like there, there's. What happens when somebody flies? Like from one place to another, there, there, there's so many mechanics questions that are just unanswerable and just, probably not even thought about. You just go deeper underground, <laughs> right. like the Jamiroquai song. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> but no, I mean, and that's I mean, what all good horror and sci-fi does is is 
say something about society or say something about culture. So, you know, this film was no different. Um, I do love, I did love the scene of Gabe, like, tr- like putting bass in his voice, like when he was like going out to confront them with the bat. Right. Cause like he, he's, he's again, got the nerdiest, like white guy, like Jordan Peele voice. But then when he goes out there, he's like, Hey, like he, he, he visibly puts, it, it just, it was a really funny moment to me. It really made me crack up. Oh yeah. Well, um, there's that, um, it's not a Keen Peele sketch, but it's like one of their bumper spots where they have a live audience and they're like, you know, talking about how they're both biracial, you know, and like mm-hmm. t- talking about how like nobody sounds blacker than uh, two black guys that are half white, <laughs> like <laughs> trying to trying to sound like the blackest guy in the room on purpose so that you don't read as white. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, there's a lot of little subtle clues that I picked up on during the film of like, uh, you know, nodding to the fact that Red had switched place with Adelaide. Um but Red is actually whistling uh, the Itsy Bitsy Spider as she's, like, walking up the path, you know, while, while they're standing there or mm-hmm. while they're walking towards the house, which is what Adelaide was whistling in the in the, the fun house on the beach in the in the opening scene. So there's just, like, a lot of little subtle things like that which were, you know, playing on that. And again, like, why she would be the only one that could somehow talk amongst all these... Uh, uh, tethered um and obviously we later learn it's not that they can't talk it's just that they're born in this place where they have nobody that you know teaches them language so they develop this primitive like grunts and growls and yeah. clicks and shit real quick though i just want to want to mention this has anything good ever happened in a movie in a hall of mirrors no like, no no from enter the dragon to watchmen to to this movie it's just if you go it, into the hall of mirrors like only Shadow. bad things are going to happen. It's like whoever invented actual Hall of Mirrors for uh, amusement parks or whatever, like, you're a sick fuck. Yeah, right? <laughs> Why would you yeah. do that to us? I think I think all of the anxiety and claustrophobia that comes from those mirror House of Mirrors things is, is strictly from bad shit that's happened in movies in Houses of Mirrors. Like, right? realistically, you just look at the floor and you're like, oh, okay, here's the path. Like, it's not, it's not a big deal, but... Um, <clears throat> yeah, so... You know that then that whole scene was just really. I love the kind of claustrophobic camera work they did in that scene. They really like, you know, uh, the the four of, the four of uses, <laughs> for lack of a better word, are surrounding the house and getting in different ways. But the the camera really stays hard and tight on the four family members who are like all bunched up, and and the camera really has their its back to the door to the windows. Uh, throughout the beginning of that scene. So it's really tense and good camera work because it really makes you like, you know, just you're, you the whole time. You're like, fuck, turn the camera around. Like they, you, you know, we don't need to see their faces. Like where, where, where's everyone coming from? So I really thought that, that was just a subtle little thing that Jordan Peele did that really added to the effectiveness of that, of that scene. Um, you know, red. So then they break in red, uh, sits them down, handcuffs, Adelaide to the uh, coffee table and you know starts going through her expository speech and her in her just insane insane fucking voice like for, I, I did laugh out loud in the theater when that when that when she started talking because it was not you know the voice you expected to come out of Lupita Nyong'o um 
Yeah, and what was the who was it you said was the uh, person so, she based that? So voice she on? based her her vocal pattern on RFK Jr., um, who, who who does have a very distinct voice because he actually has some kind of a condition, um, maybe because he never takes vaccines. But uh, no, um, but no. So uh, yeah, so that was the the weird vocal pattern. But obviously, we later learned that. <clears throat> Her vocal cords are, act- but she is the young Adelaide, and her vocal cords were actually, you know, crushed when when Red grabbed her by the throat and you know choked her, and then you know switched places with mm-hmm. her. So that's why she has well, this. I think weird she said voice. in an interview that like doing that voice actually fucked up her vocal cords. Yeah, oh yeah, I, mean, I can imagine was, that's hard to do. I mean, you, she's basically putting stress on her vocal cords. You know, she worked with a vocal coach, as a lot of actors do when they're trying to develop an accent or, uh, you know, a, a horror character <laughs> in this case. Um, but, the, you know, to get that effect on her voice, it, you know, wasn't a, wasn't done digitally. She was that was her doing that as yeah. an actor. Incredible work. And like if you try to, to do that with your own voice, like you could <clears throat> do it for about a minute before you'd start to feel pain. <laughs> I it think. hurts. Yeah. Uh, and. Yeah, just just amazing job. Um, you know, I, I you really feel like this is her film. Like none of the other characters you are supposed to identify with to a large degree. And you don't spend a lot of time with any of the characters except for her. It really is her her story. Um, but it's also it's like it, it's there's something about it where you you never really feel like you get enough to completely identify with her. Like it, it feels very episodic. Like, you know, like it feels like you you need more time with the character. You know, like this film could have been another 10, 15 minutes long uh, to really make her character feel um, a bit more. Yeah. You know, like you you get a couple flashbacks of her as a kid, but there's no there's kind of no transition. So it feels like it feels like you're kind of watching a comic book, you know, like it doesn't have quite the depth that uh you want like she does such a great job you just want to have more of that character yeah yeah no it was interesting because you know like i said it not a ton happens in the first 45 minutes and then it really all kind of happens quick and then it's done uh it did feel like like almost like an hour of tv it didn't feel like like a you know like a fully fleshed out uh movie but uh, you know uh i i did enjoy it nonetheless um Yes. Yeah, so, uh, that scene, it, you know, it, it's a great scene where she's kind of going through her expository dialogue and, you know, as the, the aforementioned speech she gives about how she was raised in this underground world and, you know, forced to mimic everything that uh, Adelaide did. I actually wonder if it's something to do with being in that in that environment that makes you tethered to your counterpart because like why would she as the as the actual human have to do the shit that her tethered counterpart is doing on the surface but she didn't clearly she planned a revolution (laughs) no i know but she also did like they showed shots of her like you know dancing when when she was dancing and all this kind of a dream though i mean that's that's part of why this doesn't feel like a real movie to me it feels more like an episode of of um it's very Twilight, Twilight zone. zone. Very Twilight Zone. You know, because yeah. it's it's kind of like sometimes a, a, a an idea doesn't translate well to a feature length film, and I think this this kind of is that. Like it ne- either needed more, or uh, you know, a lot more or a lot less to be 
what it really should have been. It was kind of sort of in between. Um, but that's, you know, that that is. I think that's where he excels. You yeah, know, is is kind of the the sketch format cool or concepts for like a half an hour long con- exactly. So I mean, I think this is a great movie. Uh, it just it it doesn't quite feel like a feature film to me. Mm, that's um, fair. And one of the things that it does that kind of takes you out of the element of, of being a feature horror film is the fact that you know once we go to once you go to night in a horror film you kind of got to stay at night until the end of the movie if at all and this film does kind of break back into daylight again before essentially going dark by going underground for the you know the third act of the film um, and that kind of I don't know it just it took me out of it where I kind of yeah not that you can't have a breather you know, because you got to have a breather to let the audience like relax for a second before you scare them again. Um, but once you go back to daylight, you're like, oh, everything is fine and good and safe again. And it, well, it, that's that's the language. The movie language is like, yeah, everything. Yeah. You could you could take your breath, take a breath. Everything's gonna be all right. Yeah, and even the the whole sequence at the mm-hmm. you know Tim Heidecker's house that <laughs> was gory but pure comedy. I mean, that was Tim Heidecker's part of the movie essentially. Uh, you know, the handshake. Joke of uh, oh, ha, ha, just get my hair. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I love it. I love that. I love that comedy. But it, that kind of comedy definitely takes me out of the, the feelings of fear that I had throughout the entire sequence before that. The whole home invasion scene uh, is great, and it's really fucking scary. But it's also only scary once. Yeah, because once you, you know that know they're fine. Yeah, I, I watched that the second time, and I'm like, I'm not afraid of this. But mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, especially when you don't know where everyone is and like, people are crawling around like fucking spot. Like, it's it's definitely a, a, a one-time kind of thrill that you get out of that scene. Right. Right. And conversely, uh, a film like Annihilation, which isn't really a horror film, but it is, uh, I could watch that movie over and over and over, and every moment of that film scares me. Yeah. repeatedly because there's just this like existential dread Cosmic that I have. Cosmic yeah, Lovecraftian dread. Uh, yeah, because I mean the film's about, uh, essentially about <clears throat> death. You know, about dying, decomposing, and becoming another form of life that you don't want to become. It's, it's the loss of your soul yeah. uh, at the same time. And that, that's like, that, that, that never, there's no jump scares in that movie. I mean, there's like the alligator, but like whatever. Uh, but that fucking bear with the human voice, just like, yeah. oh god, what is that? What is that? Every <laughs> that time was I... a jump scare, even though it wasn't a jump. Like you're like, oh right. fuck, like what the fuck? No, it's just slowly um, coming up those stairs. And yeah, here it is, and it's it, like, it's like, God, no, make it go away, make it go away. Yeah, <laughs> just creeping, thinking about that creeping scares terror. Me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, and then then the fucking the alien clone thing at the uh, uh, yeah, 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 it just fucks with me thinking about it. This movie, I'm like, oh, those alien clone things don't scare me that much you know and i think that's that's it's supposed to not scare you that much um after the home invasion scene and you realize like oh they can kill them um pretty easily with a golf club or whatever <laughs> like that w- once once you realize that uh you know if, if it bleeds you can kill it it's not that scary yeah. right it, it it takes away some of that fear um and and you know and then of course the comedy and then daylight like i, I stopped being afraid of this other self motif of the film yeah and and and, you know again i don't think it's a hard and fast rule you can't go back to daylight but it's certainly you need to have a good reason i think to go back to daylight and 
Well, for, you had a. You said you had a uh, sort of an argument for why it worked in this. Well, film? so I. I mm, uh, I, I thought I, I, I kind of mixed up when they went back to daylight and when they didn't. So I, I think that's kind of negated. But I think I know the technical reason why they did it is because they had to show that hands across America shot, which would have just been impossible to show at night because they they show like a bunch <laughs> sure. of, you know. But but again, it's not a great well, that, reason I, to do it, which is I why they went right back into night by going underground, that. you know. I, I would have loved it if it had been nothing but night. And then the first time we see daylight, it's, you just it's, see all the people. Yeah, exactly. That would have been like my, you know, uh, Night of Living Dead uh, ending. That I would have been like, oh my god! Like now we finally see the it's, daylight. Thank God we're all okay. And oh my god, what are they doing? <laughs> like, it is. It is doing weird it. because I, I. You know, the only other thing I think maybe they did it for is so that. When they're driving through Santa Cruz, you kind of have this sense of like, oh, they made it out. And then they turn the corner, and there's the fucking ki- there's uh, the 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 red version of Jason mm-hmm. uh, waiting for them. So I, maybe that's why. But you or still could have done that version of red, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, I, I you still probably could have gotten away with that just using street lights, and it would have still been like yeah, you just you flood everything with a fifty k. You know, there was no there was no reason none of that that shot couldn't those that scene couldn't have been at night because again they just. From that scene, she goes right into the underground, right. uh, and then you don't see daylight again until the end when it should be daylight. You know, so again, it probably doesn't need to go daylight, but who knows? I mean, it, here's what I like: just a weird choice. You, you look at where she goes, you know, like her path to go underground, which I love that sequence just because it's like you know going deeper underground. Yeah, an escalator. Uh, but you realize, cool like shot. she's she's got to be like a, a couple hundred feet below sea level. So, like, who's pumping out the seawater if the government's not down there, you know, if they really abandoned it, it would flood with salt water. <laughs> it would all fucking... Anyway. You would think, although the walls are all... Con- <laughs> like, I don't know how that... I'm not a engineer or anything like that, but uh, I... You're not I a mass would... surgeon, but I, no. I, I am, and I know tectonics, and once you put something underground on a fault line... Uh, <laughs> the ground moves and the seawater is going to get in there. But could they not have built like like pumps that just continuously run like no. tidal tidal pumps? Like you got to have those. you got to have a staff of people running that shit. Like yeah. New York City, you know how much of New York City is underground? Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, there's there's <clears throat> tunnels that go for there's like hundreds of miles of tunnels under New York City. Uh, just for the wiring and the you know subway and elevators. Most of it serves no known purpose, as the beginning of the film showed. <laughs> you know, and if you and they have to, you know, they have to constantly be pumping seawater out of the you know the basement of New York City yeah. because that rock is porous and water comes through there, right? And if you didn't have people manning all those uh, subterranean pumps, uh, it would take about a week for it to fill up. And yeah. all the foundations of all the skyscrapers in New York City are underground, right? And they would all collapse within, like all the you know all the post-apocalyptic films where they show skyscrapers like hundreds of years still standing there, you know, skeletonized or whatever. No, it wouldn't be that way. They they would collapse really quickly once you yeah. stop uh, getting rid of the um, corroding seawater. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned that Heidecker scene. I do want to talk about that scene briefly because it is really funny. Um, you know, Elizabeth Moss is sitting there and she sees somebody outside and she's like, oh, go check, go check. And then Heidecker comes over. He's like, oh, what? oh, oh my God, it's OJ, <laughs> like over by his car, <laughs> which was really fucking Speaking of a home invasion. Right. Uh, um, 
Yeah, and another little, little tidbit I, I noticed that, um, you know, their, their names are never said. Uh, Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker's uh, other self that uh, comes to kill them were named Dahlia and Tex. <laughs> uh, so if you, you know your Manson Hollywood murder, uh, cutting bodies in half Dahlia history, um, two of the most famous home invasion, gruesome murders. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You know, the Black Valley, of course, and then Tex was one of the the Manson family uh, members who who went up to uh, Sharon Tate or went up to Roman Polanski's house and murdered Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was the main guy, people. the main yeah. dude. <laughs> what was your name again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. <laughs> nah, it was dumber than that. Yeah, greatest. Oh man, fucking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Such a great movie. Which we reviewed, so if you yeah, like that movie... Yeah, go back and check that out. Go, go listen to that movie. review where we actually like had our fucking notes together well. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, and But so then obviously that scene, you know, it's great because it's... It, it, the, the 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 first time you see it, that's the realization of like, oh, no, everybody has a fucking double. It's not just this family. Because in the opening scene, when she explains that she was, you know, her double more or less, you don't see the underground world. You don't see all these other people, you just are like, oh, well, maybe she was just like this clone. Like, you don't understand fully what's happening, I think, until that scene where you're like, oh, everybody has a fucking double and everyone's double is coming to murder them. Um, so that was a cool realization when you first see... Well, uh, the thing I wondered is like, okay, they does everyone have a double automatically or did they stop doubling people when the government ended this program? Or are they just like, is there like some automatic cloning machine where they're still popping out new clients like well, how does she it work makes it seem like she she just gave birth to the like you know what i mean if they're just right it, it, it again it's the mechanisms fall apart when you think about them too much unfortunately but um and it is just a cool you know episode of the twilight zone kind of premise without much you know uh, deeper thought behind it but um and again is it only in santa cruz california or is it all across the entire you it's, know who knows whatever it's across america baby it's the whole yep. country uh, um, yeah, how did the man get on the wing in the Twilight Zone? Like, how do you get up there? <laughs> they never explained it. They never explain it. They never explain where he went. They never explain what he went. Yeah, no. no. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, I, but, you know, and I, I like that scene a lot. Um, really does great work. Uh, Lupita just throughout the movie. And, you know, at the end of it, I still did kind of want to see, like, the... It did that thing where it kind of like, you know, teased the larger world at the end uh, to the point where I was like, yeah, you know, even though I was somewhat disappointed by some of the lack of expository and exploratory elements of the of the mechanisms of the movie, I still would have watched more of the movie. So like that, you know, in, in that way, I think it was successful and I think it was a good movie. It just again, it did, you know. You yeah, just can't think I mean, too I th- much about certain elements of it. For sure. I, I think the twist at the end, you know, that we've been, that that fear of the other self wasn't so much as, as you know, fear of being exposed as being an imposter, um, you know, on a class or racial level, kind of, uh, you know, that, that she's afraid that her family is going to find out that she's not really who she is, that she is yep. her underground self. Um, I, I liked that. I liked that kind of reveal because then you're yeah. like, wait, I need to go back and watch all this again and like look for all those clues. I, I, I loved that. I love yeah, when a movie has sure. a um, 
you know has a has a twist ending that doesn't isn't just a twist but like recontextualizes every interaction they've had with everybody else. We were like, oh, I need to go back and like reassess that <laughs> because there was coded messaging throughout this whole film that yep. uh, I wasn't aware of, or or at least the movie is hoping you weren't aware of. Um, and anyone that says that you knew fucking Jack or that the, the narrator in Fight Club was actually Jordan, no, you didn't. No one fucking knew that. Nobody yeah. knew that. <laughs> so don't pretend that you're that person well, I, that can t- to, fucking to be, figure to it out. To be fair, I did, but that's only because I read the book first. Not that doesn't count. That no, doesn't I know, count. I know. That doesn't count. No, yeah, anyway. the people are like, oh, it was so obvious. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, another good, another twist. good twist ending. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis and Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Um, not a guy known for doing twist endings in his films, but that film has one that you're just like, what the fuck? I, I haven't seen it yet, so don't give it away, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, uh, uh, yeah, we got to review yeah, some we'll, we'll check from PTA out, yeah. here uh, at some point. But um, the other, so the other twist, and this was, this is even more hidden, you know, is, is, oh yeah. I- at least at first you're like, does, is her son realizing who she really is? And the theories are that, no, he's not realizing it. He's always known because he's actually also his underground self and has been the mm-hmm. entire film. Yep. Yeah. So do you have any of the evidence behind that? Because I, I, I've, I've read various, you know, uh, kind of like cases made for that. And it really... There, there's a bunch of YouTube videos about it if you want to delve into it, and some of it's like, okay, the, that the, makes the sense, idea is he but... he gets swapped when he goes to the bathroom and he passes by the 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 thing. Is that is that the idea that he gets swapped when he go, when he passes by the funhouse? Basically, uh, I don't know. I, I I the whole the fact that he like his face isn't burned, but he's in the I don't know whatever. Who cares? The, but the the point is like there's another layer to it. There's another layer, another character. Somebody who's been in on it all this time, you know, and I guess I've got to go watch it a third time now to, to like, look for those clues and, and see if it's really true or if it's just, like, over-eager YouTubers trying to right. come up with new material, new content to keep people... But the way he looks at her at the end is not a look of, like, you know... <laughs> It's a look of like we're both in on this together, and we, you know, like it, it is. It, and, and the fact that he kind of looks at her and acknowledges the truth, and then puts his mask down, is sort of like you know we're we're going to keep up this ruse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's interesting. I, yeah, and again, I don't know when that switch may have occurred, but it may have been yeah. that she, you know. Well, I love that you know in in the trailer, um, you get a couple shots of you know him walking up and seeing the guy just standing there in like a trench coat with his arms outstretched by mm-hmm. himself, not moving. And you're like, that's fucking creepy. And then you realize later on that he was the first one to show up for the hands across America. Mm-hmm. He's just waiting for everyone else to get there, yep. right? To, to he knows exactly the spot where he's supposed <laughs> to stand, which is really fucking creepy on its own. <laughs> that sure. like they all had like a pre-planned position of where to go. When they're all like zombies at that point, because they stand in the water, some of them like up, almost above their head, like you see in that wide shot right. where they're like half of them are like almost drowning. But just <laughs> the idea that like they planned all this shit, even though they have no way to like verbally communicate, mm-hmm. makes it even like because like what if the fucking zombies could plan shit together? <laughs> yeah, that would be fucking terrifying. It does. It does have elements of a zombie movie, even though obviously they're not actually zombies. It does have a lot yeah. of elements of like, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you know, I, I really I, I enjoyed it. Uh, certainly not a perfect film, but uh, really cool concept and really cool execution. Uh, and it does make me really excited to see Jordan Peele's next feature film. 
uh, which I think he's working on or was work. you know, who, who mm-hmm. fucking knows with the pandemic what's going on with any movies. But well, One other little thing I, I, I liked about this, and I don't know where he kind of came up with this or the idea, but the fact that, like, the entire underground environment is basically a high school with no windows or doors <laughs> right, right. that you're trapped in. Like, there's something that, I mean, you remember being a teenager and how much you fucking hate a high school. Like, oh, I just want to get out of here. This place is a prison. The, the fact that, like, they're basically prisoners in an underground high school with no daylight. Yeah. Like, that taps into something that is awful. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it's a primal fear. Like, it just the way that place was laid out in classrooms and, like, yeah. Yeah. For like, sure. You know, and all, like, the rabbits in the little fucking lockers, you know. Yeah, and just, creepy. It's just yeah. all, like, the hallways have these little benches. Like, it's a mall almost, but it's still, <laughs> like, a high school uh, yeah. hallway floor ceiling kind of thing like that. That was definitely a, a interesting aesthetic choice. Yeah, he always makes really interesting aesthetic choices. Same with Get Out and like the kind of like the the little the room that they put um, what's his face in the main character of that movie in. Oh, like, in the basement. The yeah, basement, with the with the old TV, like the, like the old timey nineteen fifties uh, yeah. smoking lodge type thing. But uh-huh, uh-huh. but you're trapped in it and can't leave it underground. There's no windows or daylight. Yeah. And that and that's the kind of shit that he takes inspiration from the, from the Twilight Zone for. You can just tell in the in the look and the feel of it, um, which is why it's you know it's great that he is now like producing the new Twilight Zone. I, you know, it's a shame he's not actually writing a bunch of it. I think he's only written like an episode or two, but it, it seems like that's more his wheelhouse when it comes to that type of sci-fi mm-hmm. horror. Um, but I, again, I am interested to see his next Listen, the guy project. knows w- how to greenlight shit, okay? Go back and watch the Key and Peele Gremlins 2 sketch. That is the <laughs> funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. And it's just, it's like, the only thing I hate about that sketch is at the end, they, they had like admit that that's exactly what they actually did in the film. Because like, y- you just watch the sketch and you know that. You don't need to have a title card that says what the sketch already just told you. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but oh my god, this thing's right in itself. <laughs> uh, and of course he is he he's uh i think they filmed it already it just it got the release got pushed back because of the pandemic but he wrote uh and produced the new Candyman movie which I, i'm really fucking excited for because i loved the original Candyman. uh and you know it it, it it was it that was another movie that just had a really cool setting like not too many movies you see are set like in the project horror movie set in the projects mm-hmm. with like the kind of the the interesting historical undertones of that movie and fucking um oh no i shouldn't say that (laughs) what uh yaya abdul mateen is going to be the star of it who who had a very important role in Watchmen, is all i'll say Mm -hmm. uh and uh he he from the trailer it looks like he's maybe the the new candy man like he's possessed by the soul of the it it looks really interesting so i'm excited to see that movie uh, if you're afraid of meat hooks and bees you'll love candy man (laughs) and i hate bees so yeah that movie always terrified me as a child well i mean the thing is like people people don't get stung by bees very often they get stung by fucking yellow jackets and wasps and wasps yeah but the it the venom uh that, that those insects have has a protein that's directly responsible for turning short-term memory into long-term memory, so you never forget being stung, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. honeybees don't have that protein. So if a honeybee stings you, like it doesn't cause this primal fear to be implanted in your brain. But that fear of being stung by hornets and wasps and yellow jackets translates into being afraid of bees. So we attribute that like honeybees yeah, that almost never sting you, and if they do sting you, they die. 
uh, we, we like falsely uh, <laughs> are afraid of honeybees that we depend on for 90% of our food because of the fucking little cocksuckers that are actually stinging you. That serve no purpose. That actually than, have yeah. the venom that has the protein that makes you afraid of them. <laughs> That is a fucking neurotoxin, apparently. Um, yeah, sorry to get off into no, no, no. It's, it's, it's true though. It is. It is. It's funny. Um, yeah, man. I got stung by like fucking fifteen wasps when I was a kid, or, or what, I, I don't know what they. But like, I was in a pool when I was a kid, and I didn't know any better, so I like tried to splash them away from me, which was not a good idea. No. Uh, and they just all fucking stung me. It was horrible. Yeah, we um, think they're dumb and they don't know like one of us from another, and like, no, they'll fucking they will <clears throat> talk to each other and like, oh no, you're the one. We're only going to all attack you. <laughs> And nobody else around you, like, because we're we fucking saw what you did with our eighteen eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was us. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to wrap this up. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah, another we gotta, podcast. We got another we pod but, after this, but we're uh, just having some fun with. It. Yeah. So you know, I, I really did enjoy it. You know, not a perfect film. I'll give it like I'll give it four out of five. Hammer and Sickles, though. I'll give it three out of five. Um, you know, horror has to really scare me uh, yeah. for me to to be like viscerally um liking it as a film and you know this film had some i think important themes had some stuff to say but you know nothing wholly original you know and that's okay that's fine um it still i think the execution was pretty great um was filmed pretty well uh great fucking comedy moments great acting (laughs) and then it wraps up and you're kind of just like okay all right it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, definitely excited to see what he's going to do next. Um, I know it's just going to be a remake, but I'm sure he'll do it justice. Uh, he'll do he'll do something interesting with it. He always does. Um, yeah. So that that was this that was us. Uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled uh, to our feed this month because we're going to be doing hopefully uh, quite a few horror films for you know the month. Obviously, it's October. It's Halloween season. Uh, my favorite season of the year. Because uh, I'm one of those weirdos. Um, you one of those yeah, pumpkin so, spice latte white girls? <laughs> no, I don't like pumpkin spice, but I do fucking love Halloween to, to, to a weird degree. Um, but yeah, so we will be uh, you know do, reviewing some other horror movies. So keep your eye open for those. Uh, check out our main cast, Move Left Idiots. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com/slash/MoveLeft. Uh, Apple Podcasts at um, Move Left Idiots, just search for Move Left Idiots. Facebook.com slash Move Left Idiots. Uh, Patreon.com slash Move Left. We have merch available at tinyurl.com slash <clears throat> slash Move Left Pod. Slasher um, Move Left Pod. Right. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Move underscore Left. To the I'm show. on Twitter at. Oh. oh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hang on there. Let's try that again. Well, okay. Yeah, now go ahead. Where's your Twitter? Oh, my Twitter is on the internet um, at Bike Slutty. Yep, and the show is at Move Left Pod <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, All right. and we'll see you next time. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back because I'm brown. And not the other color, so police think they have the authority to kill a minority. Fuck that shit because I ain't the one for a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun to be Selling narcotics.
Get away, 
what I'll say. Find you guilty of being a redneck, white bread, chicken shit motherfucker. Hey.